And we're late, but live on Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on now both Mastodon and X. Uh, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on again both those platforms. Seth, say hi. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Uh, we're excited to be back as usual. Um, life gets in the way from time to time, but uh, we are here and we will keep talking. Right? That's that's always the the discussion point. We've got a couple of announcements. Um, first up, uh, training from a training perspective. Uh, DEFCON training, actually the first one, the next opportunity that's coming up is actually in Paris. And let me grab the link here really quick. But that will be April 22nd, I think through the 25th. This will be a four-day course for Practical Secure Code Review. And if you are interested, if you are in the European region, uh, this is the first time that we've taught over there, um, I think since I did DeepSec a couple of years ago, and um, would love to get back to seeing people in, in the EU. Uh, there may be more opportunities this year, but this is at least the first one that's coming up, and it is an expanded format. With the four days, you're going to be getting a little bit more hands-on activity, especially with the AI portions that are going to be new to the course and how we're using AI to actually enhance our code review skills. So there's that opportunity. Um, oh, dude. And actually, that is not the next one. That's the one in EU. The next, oh, no. Yeah, the one that's a couple oh, weeks before is KernelCon. Dang it. I was wrong. KernelCon. I actually was just about um, to ask you if there were still seats for that one. Yeah, I, I believe there are. Um, we're going to have to reach out to those guys because we, you know, it's been up for a little while. Um, and actually, that's a it's a that's a two day course. We will be introducing the new um, AI content there. That'll be the first time that we really dig into it. Um, so would love to have you guys, you know, take a peek at it, start to use it in your day to day secure code reviews. Um Outside of that, Ken and I next in the next in just a few weeks will be in Phoenix or in Mesa for CactusCon. Uh, we're going to be having a happy hour uh, sponsored by uh, well, an absolute absolute happy hour sponsored by Redpoint Dry Run. Um, sounds like in, there might be a few other uh, parties that are coming to the table there. Um, we will be posting details shortly on all the social medias. And in Slack. So if you're going to be at CactusCon, we would love to see you. We'd love to hang out, talk security, right? Like that's that's what we do. The, the one that we had at DEF CON was awesome, right? Um, just really good to see people. All right. From an announcement perspective, I think that's everything. Um, Ken, anything else I'm forgetting? Uh, no, that sounds right. Yeah, it sounds right. You, you would you would think after I you know after we you know create this course around code reviews and checklists that I would make a checklist of stuff to get through every podcast. You would think that, right? But you would be wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. That's it is what it, it is. Right? <laughs> you run a business. I run a business. It is what it is. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's fair. But first thing um, today, right? Like, um, yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention there before I jump into Flowgate? No, I was just going to say, no, I don't have any news. I don't, I wish I did. That'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So uh, like at Redpoint, we were doing like year, year planning, right? Like 2024 planning, 2023 year interview type, you know, businessy stuff. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is, know, the use of AI, the use of tooling to help speed up our process. That's always a constant discussion in the, in the consult or any, in any development space, right? Like you're, you know, you're performing work. How do you actually do that more effectively? Um, and the, you know, one of the things that we use constantly are burp extensions. Um, I know Ken, you're probably not in the burp world as much as you used to be. Um, I use it every day, but only okay. for the repeater. Only for the repeater aspect. Only for development. I already paid yeah. for it. Yeah, exactly. And you're already so. you know how to use it. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, but from a from a like consulting perspective, right? Like we're trying to uh, you know identify 
um, things like susparams, right? Like from Haddocks when we talked to him, right? Like the ability to identify vulnerabilities quicker. And um, one of the things that that has popped up recently is like this idea, you know, the use of susparams, the use of GAP. Um, Flowmate is a new one uh, that actually came through. I think it was TLDRSec is the first place that I saw it because it's actually not in the Burp App Store yet. Um, or the burp extension store, whatever it is, right? Like um, I'm posting the links here, uh, but it's it's an interesting take on identifying vulnerabilities and actually seeing the behavior of, of your application. So giving yourself some context of what is going on with, uh, with an application, what the parameters are, what the values are that are being sent across, you know, as you browse an application. Um, and so like we were talking during actually the planning session on how do we identify these things quicker, right? Like we've got a, we've got a junior on the team. He's trying to figure out, you know, how do we shove like our knowledge, like my knowledge of year over year, like seeing like vulnerabilities or seeing parameters and knowing what they are and what's actually doing with that, what, what's going on with them. And Susparams is great. You know, it, it's at least distilling down to we've seen vulnerabilities in these parameters, right? So they're going to be suspect. You should probably take a look at them. But if you want an overall view of the flow and the data that's being sent back and forth to an application, uh, we were talking about, you know, dumping a burp state file, um, starting to parse that out to identify what the flow looks like. And then, of course, I, you know, inevitably I stumble across FlowMe. So I was going to show what it does uh, just based on uh, VTM, the app that Ken and I use uh, when we're doing the secure code reviews. So we can actually see like, you know, the advantages to it as far as identifying those vulnerabilities and start to pick out the patterns that are being used. Again, this is all about giving yourself context of what's going on within an application, right? Whether it's code, whether it's dynamic, having the having context pushes you at vulnerabilities so much quicker. And Ken, I'm just kind of going off here. I hope you're, uh, you know, hope we're okay. Oh yeah, I'm reading Flowmate actually. It looks really interesting. I, I, I thought some of the features that are like being able to define sessions, which are like cross, uh, cross session parameters. Um, so uh, neat, obviously from a, like what can one, uh, account do that another can't kind of thing or or what's common between the two or not common. I mean, that's kind of neat uh, from a graphing out perspective. I, I, that's, I don't know, the first thing that kind of caught my eye. But yeah, there's some decent features here. So yeah, very cool. okay. It is, it is. I, I mean, and it's just, you. It, it's useful. Like anything that speeds up this process, I know it's what Ken and I, or like what my team does when we're analyzing an application, you know, we're trying to identify what those patterns are. But a lot of this was, it used to be that we'd flip through different targets. Um, we flip through, you know, different sessions to actually see what what's available, um, how to use after you load Flowmate up. And that's what I'm showing right here. Uh, you know, you have to go to extensions and load it as, um, the jar file, right? Uh, pull that in, load it up. It adds a new tab. You come over to it. You have to actually add the target. So you browse to the site itself. Um, you add, you know, in this case, the VTM site, or, you know, add that to um, the scope. It's, I could remove it now, but I don't want to. And then what we'll do is we'll actually flip around a little bit and we'll... Um, I'm going to flip over to my other screen here, right? Um, okay. So this is task manager. I already logged in as, you know, Chris, which is the, the default account there that has like lower level access. Um, but if we log in with, you know, there's a Seth account that's over there. Um, I think there's a, there's a Ken account with like the password of password one. I'm pretty sure because Ken's just insecure. Um, but if you looked, if you saw on the, you know, the screen from Flowmate itself, it tells you to browse the application. And, but as a part of browsing the application, it wants you to add like long strings. So it can start to identify what's available to it. Um, and like make them randomize info, right? Uh, whatever it is, right? Like, can you uh, um, just in, in I yeah. hate to interrupt your your 
your no. flow here, but uh, is there, I feel like there's, um, well, I, I don't know. Like it's been a, honestly, I've been so focused on source code. Uh, does burp, I know it has, I mean, obviously it's got the spidering function, but can you have random randomized inputs um, like have randomized values that it auto generates and tracks like, uh, or uh, yeah, if that's what I'm trying to say, like when it spiders and submits things like submits forms, it does. Yeah. You, okay, cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it will do that um, in an attempt to actually identify, um, especially with things like payloads, right? Like, so cross-site scripting payloads or whatever else you'll see it, you know, with like a, a hash, so that it knows where it actually inserted it when it shows back up on the on the page itself. Um, I mean, that was okay, one of the features helpful. that I, yeah, that's one of the features that I actually stole stole or re-implemented with Sputter as well, um, because mm. it was useful. Um, but Sweet. let's see. Yeah, I could see how the two together would make everything a lot easier. That's all. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Let me see. So I stopped sharing that. So that was just me browsing the site, um, and then if I flip back over. I just I re-enabled things, right? The burp suite, I did. Detection active. So you see like the match values, the parameter matches. And this is where it starts to get interesting. Input parameters and input values. It actually builds a Neo4j database, like a graph database behind the scenes that you can connect to directly and start asking questions about the session and what it was actually seen. We'll turn off detection right now because um, I don't want to you know, pull any more data. I don't necessarily have any audit findings in here. And again, I'm very I'm very new to this. So, all right, like I'd have to jump into the guides themselves. Yeah, so there's the Neo4 database. Oh, look, so here's a graph of all of the inputs, the input parameters, the values, the match values, you know, between them. So what it was seeing across the different, you know, sessions. Um, the yeah, so you'd have to look in and dig into it there. But uh, this is where it started to get interesting for me to actually see what the matches were, where these parameters, like, okay, here's a first name parameter, right? Um, it looks like, okay, that was Chris. It was on these different places. It was all the same. That looks like it was the same session. All right, so maybe that's not as interesting, but what about a uh, post parameter, password? Oh, look, there you go. There's that uh, password for me. Um, logging in, soccer lover there. Picture parameter, um, session IDs though. Um, there's all of these. Now, one of the things that I notice here right off the bat is the session ID is a cookie. There's 71 occurrences, but that session ID actually doesn't change. I logged in with two different uh, users. And so the session ID is did not get rotated even though I logged in and logged out, right? Like we've got a session ID that's stuck and that's going to be an issue. Because you know you'll see search view all users so admin functionality down here at the bottom, but up at the top, uh, you know profile pics, uh, Ken, Seth. I think this were like task manager stuff. This is stuff from Chris, the you know the lower level account as opposed to the higher level account when I get further on down that list. So I've got a vulnerability that's right there in and of it in itself. Now I'm not sure what the session definition stuff is here. I probably need to uh, read up a little bit, but I think this is where it'll start to track right. Oh, yeah. Um, so you'll track this one session, um, list the matches between those, and then be able to contrast and compare. So give yourself even more context. I was just excited initially to see like this sort of uh, information, right? Like the ability to, to see all of the different, okay, here's some user IDs. There's some posts that are going on there. Um, interesting. Parameter, manage projects, usernames. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it's kind of this, uh, you know, the ability to give quick context and to do searches on it. You've got the queries to actually view what's going on in, you know, coming out of Neo4j, but it's all automated, right? Um, and that's where, like, like, that's something that makes me excited. So if you're playing with, uh, if you're looking for something that's going to give you more context, I, I mean, Ken, do you understand why, like, from my perspective, I start to get, you know, or like we're we're talking about that? Yeah, it's pretty it, it, right because yeah, you you need to map out sort of uh, um, what these parameters are taking, like what where where are they operating. Um, gives you kind of a, a a graph of commonality between and lack of yeah. uh, between accounts. Um, I think one question I had was um, 
clarification around. So like, for instance, uh, there's that CSERF middleware token parameter. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. Query to view in, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm trying to, to figure out if like from here you could deduce where it's not sent to endpoint wise with post requests. I'm sure there's more optimal ways. I don't know, maybe there's more optimal yeah. ways already of doing I that. I imagine there, there would be a more optimal or what we could do um, if we've got this art all in the Neo4j browser as it is, is we could look for post parameters where it's missing, right? Like, so I could take this query and actually query Neo4j and say, hey, you know, where's there a type post? Um, show me the matches where CSERF middleware token does not exist as, as opposed to where it does. Um, there's probably some yeah, the only ways to do that. Yeah. Well, in the sense of if you were doing this in an automated fashion, I don't know. I don't know if there's an easier way. If you're doing it in a purely manual fashion and you're using like the, uh, the proxy history, you could probably do a negative search um, mm -hmm. and then do just look for post requests specifically. But in uh, a fashion where you're trying to like quickly run this just to get like a view of the of how it's behaving and get that like context gathering mode uh finished then yeah it would be really nice to have that um baked in uh, easily yeah. and uh, again yep. yeah i don't know you know burp's got this app store now where everybody can submit things and so i'm sure it's so there's always like a plugin for i feel like for for anything you want to you can dream up and and think of well yep there's that then there's the new bomba stuff that allows you like more search filters and the ability to do things you know very you know quickly without actually using some of the you know the the ui portions as well i mean csurf analyze analyzer is probably like their scanners and stuff that probably would do a little bit better than this but if you're already tracking in flowmate and you see something just like you did there should be a way to to tweak that back out or at the very least the fact that we only see like three or four things in here and we did a whole bunch of other stuff. Like I updated a user profile. That's a, that's a concern, right? Like, okay, I'm, you know, it, it, it's giving me indicators again. It, again, it's giving me context of what's going on with the CSERF middleware token. And it quickly did that without, you know, without me having to dig through, you know, all of these posts, um, and identify, okay, what are the, you know, okay, I see the token here, um, but that's managed projects, right? There's like other other places where it actually exists. There's CSERF middleware token. If we don't have access to the code, we'd, I would have to go through each of these. You're absolutely right. But on the flip side, I could probably just compare the target here, um, like under task manager, and we could filter down to the specific post requests those are shows up pretty easily right like oh here log out as a post request but what else is uh profile okay profile three there's a post request and but i think you're right i don't think there's yeah there's no csurf token on that post request right so that is a vulnerability um and you know it hasn't popped up because we didn't have any of the csurf stuff turned on but we do know that it's there um cool Anyway, right, like just a useful tool, something to add to your arsenal to play with. I, I mean, we're just starting with it. Um, I'm interested to see how the session stuff goes. If anybody has, you know, has played with it, uh, let us know. Uh, cool. Uh, so that is Flowmate. I'm going to stop there. Any any other uh, comments, questions on that one, Ken? No, but I guess I would bring up also, since we're talking about Burp, because I like the spicy stuff sometimes. <laughs> I just, I had this thought. I was like, you know, since we're talking about Burp, it is funny to me because I do hear, and I know you do too. And even in Slack, we've seen people in our Slack talk about as well as other Slack uh, places where they're like, you know, Burp has XYZ problems. How has it not done this? You know, uh, just, I mean, you, you hear like, I guess what I'm trying to say is over the years, I've heard all means of bashing of burp. And at the same time, we all use it. And somehow I think I feel still there's an emotion, emotional attachment and love of the tool. But to my real point, it's funny to me that nobody's created something better. You know, really, there's mm -hmm. nothing better. 
but yeah, we like, it, you know, people bag on it all the time. I'm like, or I shouldn't say people bag on it all the time. That's very disrespectful to burp. And I'm sorry. I do love burp and I do love those folks and I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I don't mean that in any kind of negative way. I'm, I'm being honest though, about the feedback that we hear, which is oftentimes not super positive. One of the biggest ones I think is, and I actually experienced this periodically myself too, is it just eats up all of a sudden, like there's like a memory leak and all of a sudden you're like, what is going on with my system? You know, that today is still a problem. And while I understand it and I get it, cause you know, you know, I build software too. I get, it. um, I don't know. I, I'm just like, Hey, if someone wants to build something better, they should do that. But in, well, in the meantime, yeah. if you, if not, you know, yeah. I, well, and I, I mean, this is it, right? Like we, or like, I know we, why we have promoted we it. Yeah. Yeah. We promoted it a while ago. If you, if you go to Kaido, I think that's how you say it. Kaido.io. Um, right. Uh, I think that's it. That's a, that's a new proxy, right? Um, it's in beta still. Yeah. But here, let me drop it in there. And I, I wonder if, you know, if anyone in our chat or in, um, YouTube chat here actually has played with Kaido and used it yet, right? Um, I have like enabled it. Uh, one of one of the problems that it like my initial thought with it as I started to use it was I've become too dependent on extensions, right? Mm. Um, from a a testing perspective, um, so while you can port, you can build extensions into Kaido and Kaido has like, uh, like it looks better because it's, it's not necessarily Java, you know, the, the whole Java UI under the hood. Um, it's a little, looks a little bit more modern, but it's going to take a while to catch up. Um, and it really will take people like switching over. And I have the same problems with um, Zap as well, right? From a UI perspective, it just is not... It, they're very much kind of professional tools, right? Like they're not very approachable from a UI. Um, uh, like the UI design is just not great, right? Like uh, I don't know, I don't know how else to get go to say that. Um, right. Yeah, it, they I don't. Mean, look so I think it's models. fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's things that you can do. You know, you can change the defaults, and you can make it look better. But you know, uh, it's usually. How much time do I actually want to spend doing that when I'm I've got work to do? And it, you know, once you understand how to use it, it's not necessarily that it's not an impediment to using the tool. But for new people coming into the space, right? Like it's pretty jarring to go from like the Mac UI or Windows UI to Burp, right? You're like, whoa, what is this? And where do I actually go for this? And do we not follow any any user interface standards? No, they don't. And then you add extensions on top of that every extension is different, right? Like how they implement things. Oh, is it a new tab? Oh, is it a right click over here? You know, I have to go into the documentation to learn how that extension has implemented things, which is not a knock on the extensions. That's just, you know, you have to learn the tool before you can actually use it. Uh, but not having that standard interface or that standard flow makes it very difficult for newcomers when they when they are trying to use those tools. So, so I guess what I'm saying, Ken, is I'm with you on that. Um, as much as I love Burp, and you know we've paid for Burp for years, and we'll continue to do so. Uh, Kaido is a is, is an alternative, and I would really like to talk to someone that has used it in um, in a professional setting. Uh, and used it for an assessment as opposed to burp. Like I, I always run into the issue personally that we're we're under time constraints, right? Um, so I can't use both burp and Kaido in an assessment, and you know, double the time or even like one at one point five x the time that it's going to take for me to do that assessment. Um, just given the, you know, the constraints that I have as a consultant. So it'd be interesting to talk to people that are implementing or that have more leeway as far as the time they have to evaluate things to see if there is something there that would be, uh, that would be useful and what their fill uh, is for Kaido. You know, I, I actually might give it a shot because it's a, they have a monthly $10 I mean, they have the free version, but this is interesting because uh, their their yearly one um, seems to have uh, priority support over Discord. I love that because, like, you give some decent feedback uh, right away. And usually, I, I mean, I'm in the startup world. I know what that's like. The second someone tells you anything, you're like, 
yeah, you're now my most important. I mean, you know, within reason, obviously you got to prioritize things, but like, yeah, like there's, you know, obviously when you, when you're newer, especially it's like, that's awesome. You know, you're going to get good support is what I'm trying to say. Cause they're going to immediately yeah. like jump on what you're saying. So that's one thing that's cool. The other thing that's very interesting is they have AI integration and I'm curious. What I that just, is. I just saw yeah. that. Right. Like now, yeah. now I'm With like going down version. this rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Not that like, I mean, it's, it's and there's, no, there's nothing on, there's nothing on the blog. Dang it. Where, where, I on. know <laughs> docs. So, <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, cause we have people who listen to this who maybe like don't know us super well. We, we don't get paid by any of these companies we talk about. We just look them up and get interested uh, in to something or not interested in something. So, you know, we're not, this is, I, anyways, I might give it a shot just to, just to see what's different. Cause out of pure curiosity kind of thing. I use a proxy every day, right? Mm -hmm. I use burp every day. So it wouldn't be tough to just start using this instead and see what, we'll see see what where it is. goes. Yeah. Well, and, I, yeah, especially. I, I just don't use it in your capacity. Yeah. That's sorry. Yeah. I just don't use it in like the consultant way. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, that, and that's what I'm saying is that's where it's going to get interesting is, Hey, you know, Hey, that's how burp. That's how zap started is, you know, they were developer tools for intercepting, like seeing HTTP requests and responses and manipulating those, like replaying them over and over. Um, I mean, you go back in the day and there was Fiddler and Web Scarab and, um, you know, whatever other, you know, there was a bunch of other proxies that were very similar. Um, but they were just proxies, right? It wasn't necessarily targeted at the security space. That's where Burp kind of took over and then Zap, you know, from an OWASP perspective, or I guess Software Security Foundation now, right? Uh, perspective, yeah, yeah. that's where they, they came about, right? Um, but uh, Kaido is interesting. I Like, you know, when I see the interface there, I'm always like, ooh, right? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> but then I, but then again, like I start digging into, oh crap, like I want to do some of this other stuff. And there's, I know there's going to be ways to do it, but it, it's the workflow perspective from, for me that becomes more difficult. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. I just find it funny that, yeah, like it's cool though, that there is this now because yeah, it's, it's just been the weirdest thing forever where I'm like, well, if everybody collectively has all these gripes, like, why don't we do something about it or somebody you think somebody by now, but yeah, somebody did. So that's cool. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. I totally forgot about Kaido altogether. So, yeah, cool. Nito, Nito Bandito. Um, and I mean, yeah, they're on GitHub too. Like, it looks like the the main project there. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And either way, anyway. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, so next up on our list for today is actually. Um, and this probably will take us for a while, right? Um, is reversing labs, or do you want to talk CVEs, or do you want to talk uh, software? No, I have actually chain. have the software supply chain up in front okay. of me right now. If you want to chat about it, um, okay. Reversing Labs has released their software um, security software supply chain, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. The State of Software Supply Chain Security 2024, a report. And this thing is long, right? Um, just be aware that there's quite a bit that is in there. They're going over all of these different issues that they've seen. I mean, just looking at the, maybe let me just share the, let me share the tab, right? If we're going to talk about mm -hmm. it here. Um, yeah. Software Supply Chain Security. If you just look at the table of contents, right? Um, they're going into all the different issues that they're seeing with software supply chain. And uh, to be completely frank, they're only looking at PyPy and MPM here, right? Um, but they're talking about what's happened in the last year and where they're seeing it going in 2024. Um, so, but before we get into the report, like too detailed into the report, Ken, what is your feeling? I mean, I know you're developing software. You're dependent on, you know, software supply chain. You've been involved with, um, you know, with some of the package managers in the past. But what is your feel, number one, on what happened in 2023 and moving forward, what's going to happen in the software supply chain space? And I know I put you on the spot, so. 
Well, so no, I mean they're they're so like they do talk about different package managers like um NuGet and whatnot. They do seem to find most of the issues are in NPM and Python. I think that's interesting. Something that that's a topic point I'd like to delve into on the, the why potential buys of that. I think also they mentioned twenty eight percent an increase, uh, you know, from twenty twenty two into twenty twenty three for for supply chain attacks. Part of me questioned if that's not better detection or more eyes on the problem surfacing more. Uh, malicious packages or if there truly is an uptake in um, malicious packages. I think there's a number of reasons why that could be, um, you know, yeah, sure. It's always going to be lucrative, but um, perhaps, you know, part of that's, um, you know, geopolitical, perhaps it's the rise of, uh, you know, ML technologies, AI technologies, uh, making, uh, automating these things, uh, you know, more easy or easier rather. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, so that, that was my, from, from this whole thing, those, those were some of the things that I, I think really stood out in terms of their analysis going forward. I, you know, I, I can't speak to, well, I can't, the one thing I will say is like everything you're seeing here and they actually touch on it really briefly that open AI is now becoming one of those places they're seeing uh, massive key leakage and we mm -hmm. talked about it before with Hugging Face, which is the, you know, yeah. if I had to put it in words, it'd be like uh, for everybody listening, it'd be like the GitHub or the, you know, Docker hub of LLMs, open source LLMs, right? So it's a registry of open source LLMs. They leaked 1,500 or various developers leaked keys. They Some researchers found about 1,500 of them. They were all valid or most of them were valid, um, you know, which would allow you to replace those. So I think you will see the same things that we're seeing in uh, existing package managers occurring and dependency issues just in the, the AI space. I've said that before. I, I still maintain it. I think it's going to get it's going to get worse in that space until it gets better because um, it's, it's interesting. But I wanted to say this from a practical standpoint, as somebody who has developed both building a product that secures other people's software, but then also and my own. And then, but also having to deal with the actual security of like dependency management stuff. I got to tell you, I know there are companies out there because I saw them at RSA. I've seen them at various conferences in the, 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 the vendor booth area. I know that there's companies coming out to, that are tackling this problem. But like, frankly, the depend, depend upon kind of stuff. It's, it's, I was just on a call about this because, you know, it's like, it's, one of the questions is like, oh, your product, your product, like find all the CVs and all the things. I'm like, okay, but like, what do you do with those? And the reality yeah. is not, it, it's not, there are places that absolutely ensure that, you know, dependencies all are up to date, are, are all up to date. But the reality is, is like, most of the time, that's just noise. People aren't doing much. And often it's not even actionable advice. And yeah, it's like good to keep things up to date. But if you have a lot of priorities and that's not really affecting you, like, do you care? And that's, I know that's from a CVE perspective. I know that there's also like automated solutions that are are trying to detect uh, like non-CV stuff, like just bad. And they actually talk about that. There's like malicious patterns you can look for. We all know that um, in libraries yeah. and now there's like tools coming out for that. But like, I guess what I'm trying to say is it has been, it's annoying to, to, to it's annoying. It's very annoying to deal with. It's, it's annoying to get those notifications. It's annoying to not know if it matters. It's a lot of extra stuff. And it's, you know, because, uh, yeah, packages are dangerous. And it's like, you know, open source packages uh, created by the world are dangerous. Yeah. Um, I would say as a, as a forget as a security person, as a developer, it sucks. It really is a painful experience for me to deal with, for my engineers to deal with the the risk is there sure and of course we need to address that but from a more practical standpoint the things that i find that are actually like issues um in dependencies are things like people implementing dependencies in their software that i don't want them to a good example would be at github we uh got to a point where it was like just don't use image magic right and if we see you coming across with image magic which you know we you know hopefully wouldn't but 
if you implement imp image magic, it needs to be stripped out right away, like right away. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's libraries, you know, are just practically uh, a pain. And then, you know, that doesn't, I know that doesn't address though, like all the malicious backdoors and all the things that, you, you know, you could be doing. So I, I, I get, I guess what I'm trying to say is like a security person, of course, I understand why we need to do a better job in the dependency space. But as a developer, it's just a, another pain in the ass that you have to deal with along the way of trying to get a product shipped. And by the way, the product's not your only concern also as like someone writing, writing stuff. It's, it's, there's a multitude of things you have to have to think about every single day. And it's not just that. So your priorities expand beyond just technical priorities. And it's like, I don't know. It's a very frustrating experience being on the other uh, side of it as, as a fairly developer focused person some days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, honestly, that's where the tools should, you know, that's where they should be helping. Um, my my issue with CVEs, known things, right, like detection of vulnerable packages um, in general has been, let's see, how do I say this, um, has been that it's on the tail end of the SDLC, right? Um, we always talk about, you know, as, you know, as what cliche as it is, right, like pushing left. Package dependency monitoring is more like vulnerability scanning. It is. It's something that happens after the software has been built. And like we have pushed a little bit into the CI/CD pipeline, but it's after those decisions have already been made that the developer is going to use a specific package, a specific version. And it's more of like, we're trying to catch things in the maintenance phase of a of an app than earlier on in the life cycle. And I think AI and some of the tools that security is, you know, developing some of those that we see out there is going to push further left to identifying those things. But again, it's all tied to very specific like CVEs. Hey, we know that this package has a vulnerability in it that's been detected as opposed to, hey, have we, you know, have we gotten ahead of, why developers are using this package? Are they doing it in a secure manner? Um, are we actually talking about this in the requirements phase? Like what you're talking about with uh, Git, uh, GitHub, Ken, right? Like mm -hmm. the use of magic. We know that that's an issue. We're gonna we're gonna get on or get on that earlier. So if we see you trying to use that dependency as you develop a new feature, we're gonna push back on that. That's gonna be our, our requirements, that's gonna be in our training, that's gonna be in other things. But I don't see a lot of organizations doing that. I see a lot of what we've seen with DAST and SAST over the years of, well, I have Dependabot in place, I have Sneak in place, and it prevents, you know, you know, it notifies me when we have these vulnerabilities or we have, like, we've seen these issues which is the same thing we, we saw with network scanners 15 years ago, right? Like, oh, I scan the network and I see that these CVDs exist, go patch them. Uh, like it doesn't take into account how difficult that can actually be, right? Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I don't know if there's a good solve there outside of... Yeah, I think you, you're, you're touching answer. accidentally... Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Seth. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, well, no, I, I think you touched upon a point that's outside this article, the scope of this article, but I feel like a lot of people are souring on shift left, but for that reason, which is like, like the idea being that, you know, you kind of, if you, if you get there early enough, you'll be able to present, prevent a lot of things. And it's just, if there is no left, there is no right. It's just a continuous circle of constant change and churn. Um, there obviously is a, Okay. There obviously is a starting point. I mean, that's silly to say there isn't, but that isn't where, you know, like I tell people this all the time when, we're, when I'm frankly pitching our product, I say, listen, man, like, or person, sorry. Uh, you know, this is this whole idea that you can like do a, a one-time assessment on something when it's first being developed and then it just goes out the door and then it's going to be mostly fine is like, we all know isn't it doesn't hold water it's not real that doesn't exist the real the real issues actually come far far further down the road sometimes that could be a month later sometimes that could be two years later but it's usually when things you know happen happen later and uh i don't know how dependencies necessarily fit into that but uh yeah, yeah I, guess I, I mean it could just it touched can be on the, the shift yeah. left part and i'm like 
really I'm hearing a lot of like, ah, that was a mistake. Like that whole idea is not working right. Like we need to, we need to take a more continuous, constant sort of approach. But again, getting back to it, that's great. But if you don't surface actionable stuff and you just give me a bunch of, well, this could potentially be bad and needs to be updated. It's like, how useful is that? And so again, I know there are companies coming out and have come out and are trying their best to, to uh, tackle that. Um, and I still question even, even still how you're, you know, you might get a quick alert that, uh, you know, like quick after a vulnerability has been introduced into a package and it started being downloaded, maybe downloaded, maybe you'll get a quick alert, you know, within a reasonable time, uh, after you had pulled that into your, your app that, you know, Hey, this thing's out there. But is that really going to fix it? I mean, the root the root fix has got to be, you know, an app store style uh, vetting process. If if you ask me, I think that's the only that's the only way you're going to prevent all this malicious crap from from going out the door. Now, how to accomplish that? I mean, I I'm sure we all have thoughts, but that's going to be a really really difficult thing to do. And if you want to be a registry or a package manager, maybe now is the time to start um, really digging in on how to. And and I know they are. I know there is. I know for a fact they are. But um, yeah, I I mean, again, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. And I mean, I know we've we've hammered on this a little bit in the past, you know, three, six months. Right. Like because it has been such a big issue. Um, And, you know, I always go back to the days, the early days of like NSP with Adam Baldwin and like before, you know, NPM got taken over and NSP got taken over by GitHub. The fact that it is a, um, it's not that we can't technically solve that and we can't protect those, you know, those package repositories. It's the, uh, just the sheer amount of data that is coming into them, the sheer amount of um, code that's being, you know, that's being produced on a daily basis for most of those package managers that it becomes a huge problem, right? Like, I, I mean, kind of the ideal standard is this is what Apple has done with the App Store for iOS and Android, right? Like, they locked it down so completely that it eliminated the ability for malicious actors to push code into those repositories. And it, I mean, it has a chilling effect on um, the ability to innovate when it comes down to it. But from a security perspective, it's a great thing when you have a single source of control that cannot be bypassed. Um, because I, I mean, again, you look at where let me let me show module counts really quick, right? Um, stop screen. Let me present that one. If you go to modulecounts.com, um, and if you've never looked at this from a package management perspective, you should, right? Um, just to understand the problem that we're dealing with. Um, and it, you know, this, I just pulled it up, like, but the number of packages that are in each of these different uh, package repositories, and then on a daily basis, how much is actually being pushed in, right? You have things like NPM that's getting 750 new packages a day, right? Um, that are just going into the pack, you know, into the package repository that have to be analyzed at some level from a security perspective and you know npm github microsoft actually doing like analysis on those like i know they're getting better um but you saw this huge spike last year right like you know um and then it dropped back off uh somebody added a whole bunch of packages it looks like they were trying to do like marketing through the package repository and do uh search engine optimization based on packages that were pushed into NPM. That's totally what that was. Um, If you look at those packages and that increase from those days, I mean, it just was like going crazy for a while and it was all random like marketing stuff. It wasn't, so it was malicious, but not malicious in like that we're trying to attack people, but we're trying to game the system type, you know, type attack. And then it drops back off, but you're still seeing 750 new packages a day. the amount of manpower and AI and processing that needs to go into it to make sure that we're not seeing something malicious that we've seen in the past is already a huge problem. Add into that new novel techniques that people are coming up with 
to attack users and to insert those packages into other places and to add malicious content, um, you're just, you know, exponentially adding effort to securing these environments because you don't necessarily control everything that's going in there. I like NPM, PyPy, Packagist, you know, NuGet, anyone can go and create a package and, and push that into it. And how long it lives is probably, you know, dependent on whether or not it's overtly malicious, if it, you know, what it's trying to do, if they're following the rules of the package uh, manager. It, like, I just see it as such a huge problem moving forward, right? Like, I don't, and to get back to the report itself, I don't see this as an easily solvable issue. Um, it's going to take the package managers, it's going to take the developers, it's going to take pinning. Like, we've got to, we've got to talk about it across the board, how we pick out these packages and actually use them and promote them and certify that they are what we intend them to be. Um, and like, it's just not necessarily a discussion that every organization is having or even every package manager is having. Anyway, Ken, sorry, I'm getting like on my soapbox. It's a, I mean, here. it's a multi-pronged. No, not at all. I think it's a multi-pronged approach like anything in security. It's like, you know, package managers do better. Uh, tooling to detect these things do better. And then like, you know, things like, um, I want to I want to say it was maybe Segment who came on and explained their... DNS rebinding prevention, but basically they put their apps into a container that only at a network level could egress into this sort of like uh, reverse proxy. Um, um, more so, actually, uh, more so like, you know, I, I don't know, I'm struggling to, 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 uh, to give you the name of it, but it essentially says, hey, you can only talk to these specific places, you know, to prevent CSERF yeah. and whatnot. Um, so you can only, you know, these host host names through this app are the only thing you could uh, reach out to, which would help with backdoors. It doesn't solve all the different problems you could have. I mean, you could have something that comes in and just blows everything up, right? Deletes everything and just ruins your system just for the heck of it. Um, you know, they talk about all the different types of uh, newer versions because I felt like, you know, it used to be a lot of Bitcoin mining um, kind of stuff and then computing resources have kind of or I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's a multitude of factors of why that has uh, not been as much of a focus. And it seems to have gone more the way of, like I said, backdoors and um, things of that nature um, yep. from the report yeah. anyways. And again, I, you know, so anyways, it's a multi-pronged approach. I think dependency stuff just, it gets under my skin now because I have to deal with it all the time. And it's like, there's good intentions behind it, but it's so freaking painful. And what's your alternative? I mean, you can't just like develop, I mean, you can, but good luck uh, getting to, if you're a startup getting to your next round, if you don't use open source software, right? Like if you just build everything yourself completely, you know, yep. that's uh, I mean, unless you're doing something incredibly simple, that's uh, not an option for the majority of us. So yeah. well, we're and, stuck in I this mean, shitty place to be frank. Yeah. It is, right? Like, and, you know, okay, right? Even if you're dependent, like you decide, okay, we're not going to use dependencies, you're still using SAP, some platform, you're still depending on code to, you know, whether that is Nginx, whether that is, you know, Apache, um, whether that is AWS, right? Like there is code that is providing services to you that you are dependent on, even if it's just not this direct, right? Um, and... Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a hard place to live. Um, it's part of the risk that goes into it. I think um, at some level, you've got to understand what that is from a, you know, a business perspective. Hey, you know, we are putting our trust in Apple. We're putting our trust in Amazon. And if they get compromised or somebody finds an issue in their supply chain, that's still going to affect us. Um, we've right. got to be okay with that. Um but how do we limit the damage when it actually happens? And I, I mean, this gets into like business continuity planning and threat modeling, um, which I, I, I mean, I do, I know organizations do it, but I just, I, I don't see enough of it effectively like across the board um, from a maturity perspective. Yeah, and maybe I'm just being you, cynical. No, no, you're not. 
I mean, I feel like I'm being the depressing one, so don't don't feel bad about being cynical. Uh, I no, I, I did one thing they pointed out in the report that I did think was like you know somewhat somewhat uh, nice to call out was that you know the SEC went after Solar Winds after that attack because they didn't have anything. I mean, like they didn't even have a software security program as far as anybody could tell, right? <laughs> you and I had discussed this privately. I know somebody who's very close to Solar Winds who I can't talk about who just the other day was like, yeah, we didn't have anything in place to scan code. There wasn't, you know, this, that, or the other. I'm not going to go and do uh, more than that, but they, suffice it to say there wasn't um, a software security program in place there. And it was, it was essentially very egregious. And I like, I really do like the idea of if you don't even try to put into place a security program and you're a vendor and yeah, like good. You should get in trouble. I'm happy with that. Like, fine. I think it should cost you money. I think it should be a real pain. I think it should annoy you. It should hang up all your staff. You know, not all your staff, but you know, like your legal staff and whatnot. I, I, I'm, I'm down for that. I'm, I'm game for that. I like it. So glad they called that out. And uh, so on the flip side, on the business, that I just you mentioned the business aspect, but you know, from a different angle, um, made me think of that. You know, yeah. In the article. Yep. And. I, yeah, like it, it's super interesting. I'm sure, you know, we'll be discussing this for a while, right? Like PyPy that, you know, the movement of malware from one package repository to another, probably based on the rules, the new things that NPM is doing is making it harder for them to push it in. So you'll see that, you know, malware developers um, are getting more mature as well, right? Like they they're getting more sophisticated on where they actually push data, how they're um, how they're targeting users, and that's to be expected. Um, people mature, right? Um, on both sides of the you know the attack defense uh, spectrum, and yeah, I, I mean you're just going to see more of these malicious packages show up. You've just got to have a plan for it, right? Like you, you need to have some ability to detect the threats you've got to have some ability to uh, remediate them to you know to know what's going on and what's you know what's going into your software so i mean this gets into you know like um your uh, what what is it called yeah um yeah your package your your package list right oh your um s-bomb right like do you know what your bill of materials is what goes into actually producing your your software and large organizations, this gets difficult because there are so many layers. There's so many different teams that are involved that S-bombs aren't necessarily a thing. Smaller teams like yours, I'm sure you've got a pretty good idea of everything that's going into it. But even then, you know, team of three or four, a developer could start pulling in a package that you didn't expect. And all of a sudden you're dependent on a huge ecosystem that you didn't necessarily intend um, yeah, intend for for functionality, and you may be put in a situation that you got to pull something out, like Image Magic, that introduces huge risk. But you've got to have control over that. You've got to have visibility, and I and I think that's probably where a lot of this feeds is what is the visibility into your own platform and into the package managers on top of that. Yeah, I'm just anyway. gonna say, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, no, actually. I think you, I, yeah, I think you covered it pretty well. I think you covered it pretty well. This is a, I will say everybody should read this article. It's, it is lengthy, but I think uh, it's not just like a statistical breakdown. I mean, they do some pretty, some pretty fun. Um, they mm -hmm. dive into some of the uh, types of, uh, you know, dependency chain issues, some of the threat actors, the motivations. Like, it's not just some dry read. So I'd give it a, I'd give it a shot for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, did, I do like that they're calling out AI here. And I will tell you this, from what I'm seeing in that that space, that people are moving so, so, so freaking quick. And my prediction on that last note here is that you are going to see, and I don't mean like the LLMs or something like that. I mean, the actual like tool chains around interacting with RAG and LLMs and all the various things that you have to do to, you know, chunk and split text and code and all that fun stuff. There's a lot of these convenience libraries out there. I'm seeing them run at a breakneck pace. They're trying to get funded some of these. So they are allowing pull requests in from, you know, the internet and moving very quickly. And uh, it concerns me a lot. And um, so that's my prediction is you, you may see a pretty, pretty nasty influx in that space of these types of 
And why I say that too is because, you know, to interact with these systems, you do have to download a hefty amount of libraries at times. I mean, a very hefty yeah. amount. And there's a lot that are included in those libraries that you have. I mean, when I say a lot, I mean a significantly lengthy list of libraries that these things depend on to the point where good luck trying to delve down and uh, figure out what all is being um, introduced into your application. So, yep. Yeah, I, I expect 100% to see that that area, like I said in the very beginning of this topic, blow up pretty, yep. pretty, pretty bad. Yep, it's going to, right? Um, so just be aware. Um, take everything with a grain of salt and, you know, cover your bases, right? Yeah. That's really, sure. that's really all you can do as a developer. I mean, we're going to be looking at this. I mean, we're going to be dealing with it for the, you know, for the foreseeable future, right? We're just not going to get around it, but just based on the speed of, you know, what's going into it. And then, you know, me, I like, I also start to go to, okay, we're going to have AIs that are going to be creating more and more of this software, like the dependencies that we're using um, and what that does to this space as well um, will be interesting to watch. We're not quite there yet right now. Uh, you know, we're still slinging most of this code in an AI assisted fashion for sure. Um, but eventually we're going to become to be more and more dependent on what the AI is actually generating, which introduces a whole other host of problems and things that we're going to need to think about. Um, and anyway, I, I don't think we need to get into that today. Hey, you want to hear something funny? By the way, I completely off this dependency. It's a totally different topic and it's more just something I was going to mention because I thought it was funny and maybe other people can get a good chuckle out of this too or listening. I had to go and I was like looking for um, SOC 2 guidelines, right? And uh, for mm -hmm. those who aren't familiar with SOC too much, it's just a compliance standard. I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners are. Um, but uh, anyways, it was created by CPAs essentially, right? Um, not essentially. Yeah. It was created by the, the accountant like world as a... I, I don't know if you go back far enough, there's like, uh, uh, it was called like, I don't know, like SAS 70 or SC, I don't know, something yeah. like that originally. And then they yep. said uh -huh. something like that. And then it was like SSAE and then it, the SSAE thing, I think, I think it was SSAE and then it became SOC one is it evolved for like technology systems, you know, like, uh, Hey, you're, you're like, because you know the idea being like if you're handling handling financial information then there needs to be some level of integrity and that was sort of just sort of all derived from as far as my limited knowledge of all of this anyways i'm saying all this because i'm like you need to go to um for the guide as far as i can tell anyways uh at least from the 10 minutes i put into it uh or 20 minutes whatever it, you have to go to like this a i don't know it's ai cpa or something like that website and um to get the resources, which is hilarious. Cause then you, then they're like, well, now you need to sign up if you want to get these resources. So then you sign up. Right. And then you go to the resource that they made you jump through a million hoops to like sign up for. And then once you get there uh, back to that resource, eventually with an authenticated account, it's like, boom, you want this report? We can give that to you. These guidelines. You're going to, you're going to love it. $125. Like, what? I just need to know some like small details about some, some things I, I have some questions about. And uh, anyways, I don't know, man. I, I, I literally LOL'd when they were like $125. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, anyways, I don't know if you've ever. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the world of auditing, right? Like, you know, you're going to be measured against something that you have to pay for by someone you have to pay who has paid for the knowledge to, of what you have to be paid. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know in, who keeps popping up for every resource is the guys we used before. Uh, a line. Oh, yeah. I'm sure uh, when yeah. you and I were doing auditing stuff or going through an audit together. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you're usually better off asking, you know, engaging with someone and then asking them to, you know, hey, give me, you know, what is it that I have to do in this situation? Like, because they're the ones that are measuring you anyway. And I mean, from an audit perspective too, right? Like this, this is why we. Uh, uh, I don't know, like PCI, uh, you know, SOC 2, type 2, right? Like a lot of these um, audit frameworks, and yeah, I mean, now we're off onto another topic, but, uh, you know, audit frameworks in general, right? Like from a security perspective are not the end all be all, right? Like, so um, and that, that's one of the people, the things that like 
business people have a hard time or they struggle with is like, oh, well, you were a PCI compliant or you, you have your SOC 2 type 2. And then you're like, but have you ever been through a SOC 2 type 2? Do you realize that you're basically measuring your controls against the controls that you defined, right? Mm -hmm. So if you decide, hey, I don't really care about dependencies, I'm not going to measure myself against dependencies, right? Like, then you don't have to for your SOC 2 type 2, right? Like, yeah. And then you're paying yeah. the auditor to measure and to give you the certification as well. So there's incentive from the auditor to pass you so that they can make more money and come back and do another audit the next year, right? Like, so there's all of these, well, like, yeah. Yeah. It, no, it's funny you say that because there's this there's this preconception um, that you need to have a SAS or a DAS tool to be SOC 2 or SOC compliant, right? Mm -hmm. Which is actually not true. Turns out that's not true. I mean, it is, it is, but it's not technically true. Nowhere is it written. You have to have a SAS, as far as I can tell, a SAS or DAS, you know, not in there, but it's part of, it's cons when you do that, it's considered part of keeping things, um, uh, you know, having uh, basically software integrity, but I, I forget the yeah. actual, like the, the words, they, the verbiage they put out. And I mean, they, by the AI, I think it's AICPA or a whatever, whatever it's called. Um, whoever makes that guideline. Um, yeah. It's more of like, well, if you want to do, if you want to satisfy these beautiful terms that we've put out there, well, maybe that's a good idea, but it's not required, you know, which is a, again, a huge misconception um, with a lot of people, I think, I think, um, but yeah, yeah, so it is, it is basically something you, you kind of need to do, uh, to, to at least show your, uh, you're doing the right thing, but it's not listed as a hard requirement by anybody. And then to that, just to your point, you know, it is, you are showing like whatever you wrote down, if, if you have change control, cause that's a good thing to have. And it's part of keeping software maintenance and integrity and all that stuff, uh, clean, then, um, then, um, shit, I lost track. What was I saying? Change control. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Change then control. You have to show, then, yeah. then you have to show that you're actually doing it. My God, I'm having, yeah. whatever. Anyway. So yeah, you actually have to just prove that you, you, if you write it down, essentially, this is what they actually, the, the, I loved our team who handled this over at GitHub, uh, internally, they were awesome. Uh, they are awesome. And, uh, but they, that's what they said. They're like, basically whatever you write down, you just got to show that you do it. Um, yep. Yeah. And that's what that, you know, if you, you haven't been involved before, that's what the type two and that actually means, right? Like you've got a SOC, you know, SOC two type one audit, which is basically what are the controls that you have in place? Are they sufficient? And then the type two is, okay, prove that you're doing that, right? Like what is the evidence that you did this over the observation period as they call it, right? Like over the course of three months, did you follow your change control process? Did you run your static analyzer every month, right? Like whatever it is that you claim to do, prove that you did it, right? So, I mean, it, it's interesting and it does, you know, it does show maturity, right? Like getting to a SOC 2 type 2, being able to step through that and prove what it is, it, it proves some maturity. But again, it's not an end-all be-all in like the software is secure, right? Like that's that's where we struggle is that, that jump that people make. Well, you know, I paid for this audit and it said that, you know, I was secure, and you're like, well, really, you just paid for an audit to say to prove that you were doing the same things that you said you were doing, right? Um, ISO 27001, I mean, there's, you know, we could have someone on to talk about, you know, moving through financial and like, you know, industrial audits and what that actually does, um, if it's something people are interested in. Anyway, um, yeah, Ken, we've been going for an hour. Uh, anything else you want to mention today before we call it? Seth did all the homework for today's episode. So kudos I'm to amazing. Seth because I was I was really I'm the reason we we're late. I did jack shit in terms of research. Um so Seth is truly amazing and kudos, I want to say a special thank you to Seth for keeping it together today because if it was on me, it probably wouldn't have happened. So uh yeah, kudos to you, Seth. Thank you for um, <laughs> yeah. being patient with me and then um you know putting all the stuff, all this material together. <laughs> No worries, man. Anytime. So sweet. Uh, well, thanks everybody for joining today. Um, jump into Slack. Uh, let us know what your you know 
what your position on Kaido or Flowmate or even the you know the um, supply chain report is. We'd love to continue those conversations. We didn't even get to the list of books that was in chat. Um, uh, I can't remember who it was that actually posted that, but it was a really comprehensive list of interesting things. Oh, it was Cole. Um, books that he had read so, that found interesting. Um, and I, like, I know we could talk for hours probably on that list it, itself. So maybe we'll bring that up next, next week. Yeah. Um, uh, like I want to give that a little bit of thought too, as far as like stuff that I've read in the last year and what I would recommend. So if you we'll have recommendations, over yeah. something really interesting for us to review. And if, uh, maybe, uh, um, oh, that's right. We, we for maybe next time we, we go on, we can, we can, if he's released it publicly, we, we can, we can, talk about it but anyways yeah cole's yeah cole's awesome cole's, awesome. cole's got a lot yeah. of yeah what else can you say so he's got yeah. a lot of uh, yeah. good thoughts and a lot of good materials speaking of which we need to get down to you know aussie and see you know cole and the the australian uh appsec contingent at some point that's 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 on our radar for this year um there was a yeah we'll be teaching down in either melbourne or sydney at some point this year again uh you know finally reprising that that portion of the world so dude i love australians i i, I mean the country's yeah. great and everything but the, the the people are i always have such a good time i feel like the, like those are people uh that culture i i just love i don't know i just love it when we go down there just cool people so i think it's maybe because um a little uh direct and and you know joke a lot and uh, have great sense of most, most australians i've interacted with have a great sense of humor too about stuff so i know painting with very broad strokes but anyways yeah yeah all right good deal then we'll see everybody online and we'll catch you all next week thanks so much